Hey everyone, it's George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Today we have another exciting interview for you with an editor of one of the top movies this year. Whatever you write, whatever you shoot, whatever you're planning your story to be, it can all change in the edit room. We know that editing is a hugely important part of the process. The story gets built, crafted, rebuilt, re-understood, and found in many ways. And it's been great having editors come on the No Film School podcast and tell us about how they built their careers, how they find the stories they're working on, and how they work with the directors and the writers and the filmmakers that they're collaborating with. And today, we have the editor of the awards darling, the power of the dog, Peter Siberas. Peter has been cutting feature films and shorts for a long time. He did a couple other big ones, War Machine, The King, and a few series. He tells us how he got the gig on The Power of the Dog, how Jane Campion knew about him, how they met and he won her over the room, and they connected on what the story could be. But we really talk about Editing the Power of the Dog. Uh, this is a movie that's all about tension and pacing and careful construction of plot points. And one of the cool things about talking to Peter is that there was so much done intentionally. It wasn't the kind of thing where they were just, you know, let's try to find the beats that tell the story scene to scene. No knock on that. That's how you keep an audience engaged. And that's so much of what an editor and a, and a filmmaker does. But in the case of Power of the Dog, they were really going for bigger things. They wanted the audience to put pieces together. They wanted them to see subtext. They wanted them to feel and think about things that weren't necessarily obvious. And there's this kind of dance between what they're letting you know and what they're keeping from you and what you're supposed to deduce and, and how you're supposed to realize things. And that's pretty surgical when you think about it. And of course, we talk a lot about Bronco Henry. If you haven't seen Power of the Dog, check it out. If you have seen it, you're going to love this interview. I would recommend that you watch it before you check out this interview, just because we really get into the weeds on it, and I would normally have avoided doing something like that. But this is a movie that's nominated for many Oscars, including Best Editor for Peter. So definitely give it a look, and then come back here and use this sort of as, as your commentary track. Like uh, special features on a DVD. Remember those? Anyway, here we go. And here's Peter on Power of the Dog and Bronco Henry. Thank you so much for doing this. We've been waiting to get together for a while and I'm really excited to finally talk to you. You know, the film has been celebrated a lot already. It's had a really big impact. People love it. And there's a lot there to talk about. But before we get into the power of the dog, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your career. What sort of, what got you started and what was sort of your foot in the door and got you onto this track um, and into this part of the industry? Uh, yes, yeah, good question. Um, I started cutting when I was in my mid-20s. I was kind of cutting some music videos for a housemate and just really loved it. I was... At the time, I was kind of searching. I studied illustration and been trying a bunch of stuff. And when I finally, I'd always thought about editing, but I didn't know any editors really or anything. So I just kind of tried it when my housemate started making music videos and really loved it. And then from there, I quickly just found a, a friend of a friend was a 
great commercials editor in Australia and I kind of interned with him. And yeah, just one thing led to another. And that was, that was about 15 years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, yeah, so things kind of snowballed into, you know, regular editing jobs and yeah, within did you do a some assistant editing first at all, or did you just get right into lead I was editing? Assist- I was assisting while I was kind of interning for about three or four months, but it quickly turned into a pretty full-time editing gig. So that was good because I wasn't a very good assistant, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Not very good. But you at knew all. you were um, going to be. A, you knew your your chops and your skill set was going to land you. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I kind of took to it really quickly and um, really loved it. So, and I was really driven, like I was doing like 90 hour weeks, kind of just trying to like get as much experience as possible and cutting short films and music videos and commercials all at the same time. And then a couple of avid? Oh, sorry. Sorry. All all avid. Yeah. Well, I started, the first thing I started on was Final Cut, just, just for the first kind of month or two. And then, and then the editor I was working with, he was on avid. So I kind of had to learn Avid and then, yeah, I just kind of stick stuck to Avid. I haven't really used anything since. I've kind of jumped on on like a friend's documentary and stuff that was in Premiere and it's like uh, kind of, it's just like having one hand tied behind my back. Like, you know, because <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know the program very well. Yeah. No diss, no diss on the program. I just don't know how to use it very well. <laughs> yeah. No, so, it's people, uh, people kind of have something that they learned with and that they like. Yeah. And I- Tends to be and the muscle thing. memory that, you know, kind of lets you work without thinking too much about what you're actually, you know, the operation part of it. So, yeah. And then I kind of cut a shot that did really well with um, Sam Holster, great friend and a director. And that went to Cannes and it won a, I think it was a Crystal Bear at, at Berlin. And then the next year I cut my first feature, Hail, which was, you know, a really indie feature in... Australia, low budget, with a, but with a great director doing his... He'd done a bunch of documentaries, one called Bastardy that was, like, amazing. And it was his first feature. And they didn't have a lot of money because it was a tiny indie. So they were kind of looking for someone kind of that they could afford but who was right. also, you know, doing nice work. And that that film did really well in Australia. It won, like, best film at the actors, best... Um, Australian film at the actors that year I'm pretty sure but it it was kind of really uh well regarded in Australia and that led to working with Dave Michaud on the rover a couple right. of years later and then and then me and Dave have had a great relationship and he's um yeah we kind of love I love working with him I hope he feels the same way but <laughs> <laughs> so we, did, <laughs> we did three so, films together so tell me about how power of the dog came to you or how did that project come across and come into your your sphere? Yeah, well, Dave, Dave, and David Michaud and Jane Campion are quite good friends. I've known each other for a really long time, so that was um, the connection. I was kind of yeah, I was known as you know an editor in Australia to um, talk to, and and Dave said really lovely things about me, and it was just good timing that Jane was looking for an editor at the time. We met up to read the script and kind of had a nice three-hour meeting and got along really well and yeah now and then yeah that was that was so when you have yeah. when you have a meeting like that with someone like her about a project like this i don't know if someone if you, the names like benedict cumberbatch are already attached but obviously it's the thomas savage book it's going to be a significant work 
even if it's a smaller scale, I don't know what the context was of the conversation, but obviously it's, it's a big opportunity, you know, and she's a great filmmaker and artist and has been for so long. How does that, how do you approach that three hour conversation? I mean, I know how long you said, how do you like pitch it? How do you handle it and and be like, I want to get this or how do you, what do you talk about? What do you prepare? You know? Yeah. I've I've kind of done the same thing with David. Um, quite a few years earlier because jumping from Hale to the Rover was, you know, a, a really huge step um, sure. yeah. from the small indie to, you know, a film with Rob Pattinson, Guy Pierce, and, um, you know, a big, big, much bigger budget. And, uh, you know, and David just came off the back of Animal Kingdom. So there was a lot of, you know, eyes on that one. So I kind of was not as daunted as I probably would have been <laughs> sure. had it yeah. been the first time. So a lot of it's just about, for me just you know editing such a it's you know just the proximity to another person is such a huge part of the job being in the same room so a lot of it's there's a huge part of it like you know just do you have good chemistry can you sit for three hours and chat is that is that going to be a thing so you know a huge part of those editing interviews are are about personality as long as you kind of get the script and I know Jane's work pretty well and I, I love those kind of films. So I kind of felt like taste wise would be a really good match. So I wasn't too worried about that. It was just sure. about like making a good impression was a huge part of it really. Um, yeah. And, and making and, sure you both saw the film, the same, the story the same way. Did you talk about I've, pacing and, and that sort of, that, that it's such a, it's such a deal deliberately paced movie. Yeah. Different than most these days well I, I think jay did see my work with dave and and we've kind of done a lot of that we kind of work in a slightly similar kind of tone i guess um sure like a lot of atmosphere and you know a slow burn and hopefully a lot of tension building so i, I think jane was pretty confident i could handle those elements so we talked a lot about the the feeling of the film and you know went through a lookbook and there was some great reference to like early montana um kind of you know, 1920s cowboys and what they would wear. And we talked a lot about tension and um, psychology in the film. Yeah, I guess I'm really confident in that in that realm. So I wasn't too worried about us not seeing like the the script was so good and I just knew exactly what what Jane was going to be going for. I could just feel what Jane was going for from the script and knowing her previous work. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That part I was how would you about. describe that, the thing that you knew she was going for, that reading it, you were like, how would you put, what would you, if you had to put your finger on that thing that you're talking about, that like yeah. quality that it has? Well, a kind of really complex film about, about people and desire and psychology and, and, you know, a certain amount of damage and pain, <laughs> which yeah. does really well in a yearning mm-hmm. and um, a repression. So it was kind of it, you could feel it was going to be a really human film and and really get deep into the psychology of of people and and people who can't be themselves and how that kind of manifests and 
and how that has an effect on everyone else. I mean, yeah, so that was the most exciting thing about the script when I read it was these these really unique relationships between you know the uh, the brothers and then the boy and the and the rancher Phil and then the you know the complicated relationship of you know George and Rose, which is kind of you know the most typical relationship, but one that you know George doesn't really know how to be a great husband <laughs> and and in that. T- <laughs> In that time, that's you know probably quite uh, typical. He there's a couple of things. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I'm I'm really fixated on. I feel like you mentioned a lot of the important relationships, but I feel like there's one relationship that looms large over the whole movie, and it's between Phil and Bronco Henry, yeah, who's yeah, an yeah. invisible man, but who yeah. is referenced constantly, like yeah. <laughs> like and yeah, and. Yeah. Not just verbally, but like visually, like the cuts to things that say his name, his initials on the like, did you have conversations about like, how often should we bring him up? And how do we make sure, like with that handkerchief, that people are 100% certain that this is that this is his and this is his, his, his influence that how, how did you talk about him? It was interesting. We did a lot, actually. And we we did actually trim a not a couple of whole mentions out, but just his name out, just because it was like, okay, maybe there's like one or two too many here. Or like, you <laughs> there know. were a few. You got to the point where you were like, I think he's talking about him too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also with the scarf, you know, it's like with the BH, you only really see it for a moment. And then you see it in reverse on the other side. And we knew there'd be a significant amount of people who aren't watching that, you know. Do you think people so, miss that? Because to I me, I was thinking afterwards and I thought, I bet even if, like for me as an audience, this is the kind of thing I'm, fa- I know we're in the weeds here, but it's fascinating. No, no, because it's I think for an editor, <laughs> it's probably one of the things you got, these kinds of things you talk about. Because to me, I thought, I wonder if it hadn't had the BH, I think I would have deduced that it was his. Do you ever make those con- conversations Absolutely. where you're like, what can we let them figure out and what do we need to tell them? Absolutely. Because the BH was, yeah, it's subtle, you know, like definitely, I, I definitely know some people miss it because we did some test screenings sure. as you always do. And, you know, like most people got it, but maybe like two in 10 didn't, weren't concentrating on that or didn't put it together. But did you ask they, that in like a questionnaire or something like that? Not so much. It was, it was more like a focus group and uh, just a, a conversation after a yeah, screening and interesting. just kind of go, go through your questions and, that one came up a couple of times, but everyone knew that it was his or meant something significant in that yes. relationship without having to see the BH anyway, because we'd done the work earlier, I guess. You know, yeah, that oh was, yeah. That was his fixation. So it was um yeah, it was it, it wasn't necessary. I wanted to ask you about early on when he first so for me again, when he first comes up, there's a lot of pieces I was trying to put together in part one. It's like, are these guys ranchers? Do they own this place? Are they brothers? Why are they sleeping in the bed? Like, are they rich? Like, there's so. And I, I really loved how you guys pieced it for us, where you were like, and because he's like, wants to toast to this guy who he keeps talking about, but who is Bronco Henry? Like, why is he talking about him all the time? And you, you didn't tell us for a very long time. Did you talk about pacing that way and like respecting audiences? Like, that's I gotta say, like these days. You get spoon fed a lot as an audience. Yeah. 
I, I mean, we didn't. Ha- I I didn't feel like we had to talk about it just because that's Jane's thing. You know, yeah, Jane is okay. that that director. So it's like you're doing a Jane film. You know, it's going to be well, not even challenging for an audience, but respect respect the audience to right. to work it out and give you hopefully just the right amount of information that you're piecing it together as Jane wants you to piece it together as a story, you know, a telling of the story that's a little more interactive than, you know, a one-way street of just listening to it. And that's- Do you as an editor, though, you you and her are the ones, you're really on the front line in the trenches at the end making the call of like, I think if we, like, for example, another specific detail, there's the shot of the of the rope as he's weaving it, the shot of his hands in the water. And for me, like, I didn't put it together when I was, I was like, wait, why is this so important? I know he's going to kill, like, I was like thinking, no, spoiler alert, sorry, I was thinking, yeah. he's going to kill this guy. But I didn't know that was how, because I hadn't pieced together the scene with the stri- stripping and the, with the cow, with anthrax. Like, yeah. do you guys, how do you guys, these conversations are so important and these figure, the emotional beats that you're putting together, you know? T- totally, yeah. A-, a lot of those were, we knew that we, well, you know, it, you've got to kind of, Though that there's a scale of audience, some will be like, uh, you know, the incredibly. Well, so people watch things slightly differently. You know, some people yes. are into every detail. Some people are getting taken along by the emotion. But we we kind of had a feeling the biggest part of the audience, the biggest portion of the audience, would be hopefully really just fascinated and enthralled by Phil and Peter's relationship and the emotional. Yes. You know, this dangerous love story that was unfolding, and and then. Hopefully we'd planted those shots and those um, clues strongly enough that when you got it, you could then run back through it and hopefully watch it again. That's exactly. So what you're describing then, so you did it. It worked (laughs) for me because that's what happened. I thought, oh, that pieces come together in my mind after. But when I watched it the first time through, I mean, obviously the Bronco Henry is a different story, but like I was thinking a lot about the dynamic between them. I wasn't thinking about where that rope came from. Yeah. That's our focus. Right. Yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are like really nice, like little Mr. X, like he's cutting the cow, but he also, you know, dissects rabbits in his room because he wants to be yes. a surgeon. So you're not yes. necessarily thinking about the diseased cow at that moment. You're thinking Pete's out on a little field trip doing some yes. science work. It's um, so deliberate. Every choice is so deliberate to the end goal that it's uh, it's like a nice little, uh, you know, Swiss watch in that sense of editing. Yeah. Um, and also, also, we really wanted that discussion. Well, I mean, we talked about hopefully, you know, if some people didn't get it, they asked the person next to them or called their friend or, you know, and had to talk about what was going on there. Did that actually happen that way? And and also talk then hopefully talk more about the deeper kind of themes of, you know, love and, you know, hopefully there's a sense of pain as well, like that Phil's gone, even though he's been a, you know. A he big, is, a I think, I, yeah, I think you did, throughout. you achieved that too. He he feels like you managed to create, you guys, you, Jane, everybody, Benedict Cumberbatch, a villain who is extremely sympathetic and pained. And it's very hard to see him in simple terms by the end. He's a victim. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of, that's the, that to me, that felt like the heart I mean, and that's why I, keep, I I thought about Bronco, this Bronco Henry figure so often because he is he's kind of the prime force behind that story. 
Absolutely, yeah. And and getting to kind of illustrate what he meant to Phil through, you know, just just through really tactile, tender scenes with with objects like a, you know, and, and some some stories that he regales early in the film. But you know, we really it was very a very visual telling of the of the backstory of Bronco Henry and and Phil you know mm-hmm. there's no flashbacks or anything like that so it's kind of all had to be you know and so much of that was on Benedict to do such a, an amazing job to you know illustrate that that pain and that and the sense of loss of this great love I feel like Phil judges everyone else's love in a in a kind of in a kind of way where it's like Rose and George, like that's not that's not the real thing. It's like what me and Bronco had was the real thing. Kind of thing. That, <laughs> right. was, that was that was passion, you know. So it's kind of yes. like this really interesting. Um, yeah, I never thought about right. that, but it's true. He does seem to look down his nose at anything that's not what he and Bronco Henry had. I also want to ask when you're cutting. I can't imagine how many versions. I've talked to a lot of editors when when there's an amazing performance happening. When you get, you know, for example, the obvious one, he's exploding and he hits the horse, Phil, or mm-hmm. or he's really loses it about the, uh, there, there's some really big, like, emotional scenes that he just brings it, you know? How many yeah. times do you have to look through, how many takes do you have to decide, and how do you and Jane, like, discuss, like, I mean, I'm sure Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch gives you a lot to work with, you know? He's a very yeah. talented performer. Totally. So. We, di- we didn't have... Uh, actually, there was on the horse take. There was the on the horse um, scene. There were a lot of takes of, um, especially the the really close up kind of emotional beat where it's, and it, it was more variations of like how much does he because he's kind of calling Rosa, you know, a whore and stuff in that yes. moment when yeah. he's beating the horse. So we kind of really needed to make it clear that his is this is just him kind of you know essentially seeing Rose in front of him, not so much a horse. Right. So it was just varying degrees of that. I mean, he was so great there and so plugged in. It was um, pretty much, it's, you know, one of the funnest parts of my job is to just watch actors really go for it. And, um, you know. Yeah, that, uh, that's cool, actually. Do you get to see things they try and think, oh, interesting, like in this part, he really went in a different direction. We're not going to use it, but it's like you have as a you you say it, it's like the fun part of your job i've never thought about it as an editor gets yeah. to see like every variation on the work <laughs> like like different ways you talked about bronco henry for example <laughs> like yeah, you got totally, to see all the totally. different versions you see the choices and you also see jane's direction and you see you know the uh initial kind of well, and you also just see yeah the evolution of the performance as well so I mean, that one was really interesting because it was just varying degrees of how uh, explicitly about Rose it was. You know, it's like subtle to, mm. to really clear. And we kind of, I think we landed somewhere in the middle. But yeah, there were a lot of takes on that one. And, and the blow up at the end, there was maybe 11 or 12. You know, nothing crazy. It's a lot of takes. It's a long scene. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you have a lot of, that give, puts you in a position where you really have to try to determine what works best or, you know, maybe one. Yeah. Like what, what, what goes into deciding or choosing among 10 takes of some of Benedict Cumberbatch, like losing it in this explosive, yeah. like, you know, act two, like, like, you know, apotheosis of the movie. Like that's a huge take to choose. What do you got? What are the conversations like? Well, a lot of it's like for Jane, with Jane and and 
as much as you can. It's all about believability for Jane, like what's real, like what makes her feel something. So it's mm. it's really about honing in on like the most organic feeling, the most powerful, belie- like realist emotion that we could get. So, I mean, it's not so much, I mean, that's it for Jane. Like, you know, she yeah. just wants everything to be real. Um, Honesty, yeah. Honest, totally. Yeah. So, so that's really what you're judging more than anything else. Because every performance, you know, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. It's great yeah. in every take. Ta- <laughs> ta- he's fun to watch. It feels like he's someone you have to watch kind of no matter what he's doing, which adds so much to the, the character. He's, yeah, he's, absolutely. you got to watch him. Um, and he's a really magnetic character, and him doing that was, yeah, really kind of, uh, yeah, a, a pretty pretty great thing to sit down every day, you know. And and get new dailies and and yeah. get to watch it get to watch it first, which is pretty cool. I, I don't want to keep I don't want to go on forever, but I could. Uh, there's something else I want to mention or ask about is it's a western, but it's kind of, you know it's a 1925 western and it has like modern themes and it's written in the 60s and so there's a lot going on there. But how much did you and Jane and the rest of the team talk about the idea of how? the Western and the cowboy mythos impacts America. I mean, you're Australian cowboys in Australia. You guys have your own thing kind of with that, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's not a million miles off that kind of, yeah, there's a like famous man from snowy river story. I mean, there, there is an, it's different, but there is that kind of, you know, um, emblematic, a kind of quintessential man, the real masculine kind of, you know, Every culture has that, I guess. You know, it's yeah, like, that's and cowboy, right. And cowboys, uh, the American kind of version, right? But, yeah, and it's such a. I just want to. It's such a tortured, like troubled thing. It seems like a source of so many problems. And Phil just embodies that, especially the repressed part. Did you guys talk about that and just it a reflection of like what is this hyper masculinity and its relationship to homosexuality or being like? There's a lot to unpack. I get, and Bronco Henry really, not just his name, but like the way he's like, he's the greatest rider. He was the greatest camper. He was the greatest shooter. It just seems like he's the symbol of uh, that. Did those conversations happen? Yeah. I mean, they, they happen all the way through. There's no like big conversation. I guess those conversations happen in talking about Steens and, and, and Phil's character, especially. And yeah, I mean, that was kind of part of the conversation through, the whole job. So it's probably like, yeah. you know, it's like an eight month conversation or a 12 month conversation. So me. it was absolutely part of, you weren't, cause sometimes I'll talk, I'll ask pe- people about these kinds of things in movies like subtext or the, and they'll say, we really just are looking at the story about these characters. And other times the answer is kind of what you're saying, which is interesting that it's like, Oh yeah, yeah we were always talking about it. It's a combination of the two, but we definitely, I mean, the thing we talked about most for, for Phil was how much Bronco meant to him. What what mm-hmm. love was this, and, and how how do we portray that? You know, but there is you know Phil Phil is trying to be well presenting as that guy as well. So it's a really yeah. big part of the story that Phil is this kind of hyper masculine um, guy who shuts well, basically tries to dominate everyone around him in in that way. In that way that he's you know he's He's a better musician than Rose and, and he's, yeah. he's a better conversationalist than George. And, you know, yes. they kind of, you know, so he's, he's kind of this really accomplished man and he, he's, that's his shield. 
for who and, he really is. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, we talked a lot about how do we strip back the layers slowly and how there were scenes that we moved that were far earlier, like the bathing naked in the river was ah. used to come in the, at the end of the first act, uh, the first chapter. And we, we kind of brought it further in to go with the saddle. So it was kind of a longer beat, but just one beat of, of that after Rose and George, after your ex to Rose and George having sex for the first time in the, in the room next door. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was about making connections and, and just really, yeah, modulating everything. So, you know, you didn't have one thing, like, you know, we just needed this really even flow through the, through the building of Phil's character and, and the tension in the film. And I think all those things needed to work together for it to really come together and, and be that slowly ratcheting up and, and, and slowly stripping back and understanding more and more of this man. Um, you said something though there that really strikes, strikes a nerve for me, which is that editing is obviously placing like one thing after another in a timeline, but the choice of where you put something like him naked bathing, like what it comes right after changes the meaning when we watch the scene. Just like the old like Eisenstein tests and stuff like, like it's like exactly, the most basic yeah. fundamental exactly. thing. Like where you put that, where are you guys moving that later totally changed what it meant, the context of it. Like if it had come a little earlier, I would have associated it with the scene before that. But instead I actually associated it with the scene, like what he just experienced. That's Absolutely. amazing. It's just yeah, the magic of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. That's the job. Exactly. And and it did, yeah, you know, it really changed things dramatically. Also after that scene, he used to go into that same cubby that Pete finds the magazines in and and read the same magazine. So we were giving away a lot there. Oh, wow. And we just took that out completely because it, it was just too much too early in the story. And, um, it, yeah, it felt very reductive of like, okay, this guy's like this because of, of this secret. You know, it was... Yeah, uh, I, I can see feel. that. If he had... And if, yeah, if you had done all that that early, but instead you dragged out the just talking about how great Bronco was, and yeah, then the somebody else the sees the name legend. on the box with the magazines, like which forces us to put more pieces together. I, yeah. I mean, I think it's great. It's very educational for people to learn that the way you piece things together that way. If it, if you're intentional about every choice, it really has a big impact on what the meaning is. Yeah, we spent a lot long. You know, I mean, one of the things with Jane is, you know, in the in our first meeting was like she just needed someone a big part of what she looks for in an editor is someone who's going to be as focused and dedicated as her and, and, and essentially never give up. And that's editing to me. It's like just persistence. (laughs) (laughs) So That's a great place for us to come, like kind of wrap up is like, how do you know when it's done? Like you could edit forever, right? You could keep tweaking and moving. How do you guys just, how did you ever with anybody you're collaborating with, but you with her in this instance, how what were the signs that kind of led to, you know what, I think we have it as good as it's going to be? I mean, is it a deadline yeah. or is it? Uh, there's a little bit of deadline. We didn't actually have a really strict deadline. We had a little bit of leeway on this one, um, knowing when we were releasing and COVID threw the schedule out so much that it sure. felt like felt like it could go on forever right. at one point. But um, glad it. But you just kind of start start to get the feeling that you're close and then you know you when you think you're close you probably 
you've probably got still got quite a lot of work to do, but it's, <laughs> the, the work becomes really a lot finer and you can feel that the, the blocks and the, 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 the overalls now in a place where you're, where it just feels right. You know, it's just a, it's just a feeling of like, this feels right. Um, yeah. So you just persisted the two of you until you got to that. Like, I think we're, it felt the feel. Yeah. And then, and then you get into the really fine work, which is like making every cup as good as it can be. And every, you know, every uh, moment and every scene as tight as it can be. And the, you know, just getting the exact right momentum to it because you kind of hopefully find the structure before you kind of get to the point where you're fine cutting too much, like fine tuning too much. Otherwise you, Essentially, you're probably wasting a lot of time. If you and then in, in all those, you know, screen those test screenings and stuff, once you feel like you've got it and you guys are fine tuning, are there things that come up where you're where you do yeah, say, that, that's oh the man, final we gotta <laughs> like, we gotta change that's everything. The final yeah, n- luckily nothing where it was changing everything. Yeah. yeah, it was more like a detail that was maybe being missed by the audience that we kind of went, Oh, okay, we can we can clear that up or we can just make that a little stronger or, or spend a like little bit Like the initials on the handkerchief or? <laughs> no, that wasn't one. That wasn't we, one were, <laughs> we were fine with them. Not, yeah. not so a couple of people not right. seeing it. It was, um, it was actually the one, one that came out of it was a mention of anthrax in the, in the start of the film. Ah, uh, um, yeah. I remember that, that. Yeah. There was a scene we'd cut out because it was just really too long for the first act where Phil, Phil and the cowhands saw an anthrax cow out there before he rode up and chatted to George about, you know, the 25 years since their first ride and all that. So that, that had to go, but we just used a little bit of that dialogue on top of a wide shot with, and Ah. played and placed the anthrax cow from that scene that we cut out in the background. And it looked like everyone was looking at it when he yells out ah. about it. But we kind of managed to get the scene back without getting the scene back. So there's lots that. of that, that kind of work, you know, like I love the cut, insight. Yeah. Cut out that's awesome. And you find a way to bring that detail back without bringing all the baggage with it that you, you kind of, lost the scene, but you needed to talk about anthrax. Otherwise it comes out of left field. So yeah, you had to find a, a way to artificially bake it into that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you find a, the right artificial way where it feels organic. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would never have guessed, you know, with the lo- yeah. dialogue laid over a wide shot, like no one would have known that it wasn't part of that scene. Um, yeah. There's another example great... of that with Rose. When Rose first arrives at the ranch, there's a scene with Rose and, jo- and, and Phil much later in the film where he calls Rose a cheap schemer. Mm-hmm. But in that initial scene, and, and we kind of lost that because it just didn't feel right. It just didn't sit in in the story in the, in the fourth chapter. It just kind of, we had enough of that relationship and Phil had done enough damage. It kind of felt like we we totally delivered on that. But that line was really kind of felt really crucial so that when Rose first got there, instead of just being just Phil just saying, I'm not your brother and going back to his magazine, he kind of delivers a, a bit more of a hefty blow to to yeah. start that relationship up. So we kind of took that line and and brought it earlier. And then Benedict ended up doing ADR, but just for us to try it and bring How did that he line. Do- so where did the line land if it was an ADR land? I don't remember. Or an ADR line. Uh, so we built it. It's, I'm, not your, I'm not your brother. You're a cheap schemer. Um, ah, and then he says, yeah, and then, yeah. on a reverse or something. 
Yeah, on a reverse. I'm okay, cool. Reverse. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots. You know, it's it's filmmaking. It's like you know, yeah, but that's the <laughs> that's the important details, like making that decision. That again, that line sticks in your mind. Calling her a cheap schemer. Like, well, oh, yeah, wow. and it's something. Like, it's something you used to say to her and didn't anymore. And it was right. like, oh, that's a that's a great detail. Like that's a detail we need to really just kind of yeah give us a little bit more of an indication where well. It puts Rose, you know, Rose is yes. dealing with a lot and and her, she's not from the class they're from. They're really rich mm-hmm. ranchers. She's mm-hmm. kind of working class. Um, so, you know, the fact that he kind of says that she's there just for their money instantly tells her that, like, okay, she's not, <laughs> she's not being I welcomed think, here beyond. Yeah, I think it, it's such an obvious attack that it puts her on her heels and it and it informs the whole sequence with the piano because it's like, if it had just been, well, I don't really like you very much. I don't think it would have yeah. been like, okay, so he doesn't like her. He doesn't seem to like anybody except Bronco Henry. But if it had been, when you add in that like land of like, and I'm watching you because you're a fraud, you're yeah, up to something. Exactly. Changes yeah. everything. Like it's yeah. absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So those kind of little moments that, that all happened in the last, you know, three weeks of the edit. Like, so you wow. just kind of go, okay, I'm missing a detail um, at that stage. Yeah. That that maybe we're filling in, or we think is there that isn't. So that's the that's the really helpful bit of getting eyes on it towards the end. Just going, oh, okay, we can make that better. Like it's working, it's working, but we we can make it stronger through conversations with and just understanding yeah. how how the audience is watching it exactly. So that that fine tuning, that calibration, kind of that's the last phase. And when you feel like you've done all of that, then. You, and you feel like you're ready. <laughs> well, I, I'm really grateful to you for giving the specific answers and the details because I think it's kind of like, I know it's a overused phrase, but like a masterclass on just there's what goes into being intentional with edits and it does completely change your story. And that's, that's what editing is supposed to be. So I, yeah. I think it's been great talking to you about it. And the movie obviously is being uh, enjoyed and talked about and written about it, And I'm very excited for where it's going to go. For, for you guys thank you yeah awesome yeah it's uh, been fun so far so yeah it's been a bit of a wild ride for an Australian editor from the other side yeah, I mean, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a big yeah this this movie has got like when we started talking about doing this interview a while ago I was very excited to see it I love westerns I had no idea what it was now we're doing it it's like this is the one people are talking about a lot so it's great <laughs> yeah uh, that's cool that's cool alright well yeah, thank thanks, you so thanks much thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Peter, for coming on the podcast. It's We're very lucky to get guests like Peter and to be able to talk about editing the movies that are the talk of the year. It's really special. And, and I'm glad we can bring to all of you the insights. If you ever have things you wish we talked about or that I asked, please let us know. That, as well as any questions you can ask on our weekly show, which releases every Thursday where these interviews will always come out on a Tuesday. But either way, just email us at editor at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check us out on Instagram and YouTube, and definitely tune in on the website, www.nofilmschool.com for all kinds of interesting things that we are always doing.